You are listening to Bicycle Retail Radio, brought to you by the National Bicycle Dealers Association. Before we begin, the NBDA would like to offer a sincere note of thanks to associate member Bike Flights for their continued support of the NBDA and retailers at large. Bikeflights.com is a bicycle shipping service and a supplier of bicycle shipping boxes offering low costs, excellent service, and on-time delivery. Since 2009, Bikeflights has made it easy for more than a million people, including individuals, bike shops, events, and cycling industry businesses, to ship bikes, wheels, and gear with confidence. They've been working to get more people on bikes, plus have been advocating for safer roads and more and better trails to ride, race, and explore. Bikeflights is a company that's committed to sustainability. Learn more at bikeflights.com. Welcome to another episode of Bicycle Retail Radio, produced by the National Bicycle Dealers Association. This is NBDA President Heather Mason. Specialty bicycle retailers are the heart of the cycling industry. And since 1946, the NBDA has existed to strengthen these businesses through education, research, communication, and advocacy. We truly believe when we create thriving bicycle retailers, the industry and the cycling community follows. Our focus is on creating activities and programming to enhance your business, adding to your long-term profitability and success. Today's guest is a good friend of mine, Benita Warrens, co-owner of Midway Bicycle Supply. Midway specializes in sales to very small bike shops, including nonprofits and other operations that often can't get accounts with other distributors. Warrens and her husband, Michael, also operate a volunteer-run bike shop of their own called Mr. Michael Recycles Bicycles. Midway, which incorporated in 2013, stocks products from familiar vendors such as Kenda, KMC, Uno, CoUnion, Wald, and others. And unlike some other distributors, Midway does not require a brick and mortar location or landline phone. Midway requires that its wholesale customers have liability insurance and some form of business incorporation. Listen in as we get to know more about Midway, the Warrens, and how they support diversity and growth in our industry. I'm really excited to welcome Benita to Bicycle Retail Radio. Thank you for coming on the show. Well, thanks for inviting me. You know, Benita, there's so much we can get into. I have the pleasure of seeing you at the cab to shows. It's like once every year, twice every year. But many of our listeners possibly have not had that opportunity. And what you're doing is truly unique. You've been a great supporter of the MBDA. And this year, congratulations on the Bicycle Retail Excellence Award. So I just thought there's so much we can talk about. So I've got your captive. I know you're a busy woman, so I've got you here. (laughs) Well, one of the things you asked about was how did we get into the cycling industry? And actually, well, the bike shop came before the distribution company, but we didn't start out to open a bike shop. What the bike shop happened to us. The way it works is, is we volunteered at a neighborhood uh, recycling event and they needed someone to process the bicycles. And what that job entailed was bringing the bicycles to bringing the bicycles that came in. We had to take any of them that were really nice looking, like cool looking kid bikes and put them in this trailer for this one charity organization. Everything else we were supposed to dismantle. There were perfectly good bicycles there, 
They weren't the newest, latest, and greatest, but they were perfectly functional. And we felt that was a big waste. So in the meantime, there was a little boy that lived around the corner from us, and he he was very low income. And him and his grandpa used to drive up and down the alleys of Minneapolis looking for scrap metal to cash in. And that's how they earned their living. And this boy would find abandoned junk bicycles in these alleys that were pretty unsafe to ride. And we used to try to fix the bikes for them as best we could. So when we saw what they were doing, we squirreled away some bikes and brought them home. We fixed them to give to him and his siblings and his cousins and some of the other neighborhood kids. And then we realized how many other bicycles are being wasted at these other events. So we started going to the other events. And for 10 years, we worked out of our garage, getting bicycles at these recycling events, fixing them up, and then finding people to give them to. Oh my gosh, I've got goosebumps. What a genuinely wonderful story. I I mean, that's a labor of love, though. I I mean, the two of you, like... Yeah, we were both working full time as engineers. And so we would do this, you know, after, you know, in the evenings and on the weekends and whatever. And, and it gradually grew. And we were 10 years in, it got to the point where it was too big to be able to really contain properly in the garage. Our neighbors had been very, very understanding, especially the one winter when we had a huge pile of bikes under a tarp in our backyard, things like that. So the neighbors were cool. But we needed to uh, come to a more formal arrangement. And so I was looking actually for more garage storage because we had garages that we rented in various parts of town. We spent quite a bit of time going and rounding up bicycles and hauling them back to, to fix them and stuff. So I found this place that had these storage garages that was like a mile and a half from our house. So we went to look at them and they said, well, we've got a a retail space available in this building. And I said, oh, really? So Mm -hmm. I said, I'll look at it. So I went and looked at it and it looked huge. It was a thousand square feet, but to us, that was huge. And walked in there and, and thought, there's no way I would ever be able to afford to rent this place. Come to find out, he asked what my budget was and they offered me a lease at $20 a month over what my budget was. And I was able to get rid of some of the other garages. So some of the money that I was spending, and it was all out of our own pocket. We weren't there, we weren't selling anything. So we moved into this retail space. So then we had to get licensed by the city and do all this other stuff. And so we had a crash course in we had incorporated several months before that, but we had a crash course in how to open a business and how to get the city people out there and get your license and, and establish your hours of operation and all this other kinds of stuff. We got our insurance. We did all this stuff. We opened a bike shop and we really weren't looking to open a bike shop. We were just looking to have heated space to work on bicycles to give to people. So then we started selling stuff. But up till that point, we really had not, we were not in sales at all. We were strictly giving away the bikes. We fixed them up and we scrounged the parts from other bikes. Well, then after we got started with the shop and we established something that actually brought in It took three years before it brought in enough income to be able to pay its expenses. So we funded it out of our own pocket for, we started off, we had $12,000. We spent 8,000 of it the first year and the shop brought in like 4,000. The second year, it was kind of a reverse. And then the third year we broke even. And then after that, most years we've come really close to breaking even either slightly under or slightly over. But so we came up with a sustainable model to run a charity where we sell just enough stuff to be able to 
pay all the bills and stuff, but be able to give give away the bikes. Anyway, but we didn't really set out to get into the industry. The industry just sort of happened to us. Oh my gosh, Benita, I mean, that story, and I'm just thinking of like, you know, where all the tools come from and setting up the shop and just, are you still working as engineers as you're doing this? And then the little kids' faces of the bikes that you're getting, I mean, there's so much there. Yeah, yeah, it's, well, okay, where do the tools come from? Well, we had a, at least one set of our own tools and then we would we would go to these, they'd have various mm-hmm. bike swap meet events type of thing. And I would scrounge for used tools at some of the tables and stuff. And I, I, I'd, I'd wheel and deal and, and I'd buy used tools that way, or somebody was getting rid of something on, uh, you know, I'd comb Craigslist or, or the, you know, the local marketplaces and whatever. And that's gradually how we outfitted the initial part of the shop. Later on, after we were, after we brought in more money, we were able to go and actually buy some of the stuff that we needed you know, we can actually go out and afford to buy those things now. But when we first started, we couldn't. It was really on a shoestring. We didn't even do any kind of renovation to the space when we first moved in. It was about four years in when we finally realized that the space wasn't quite functional enough for us. There were these two closets that took up space. It was horrible. We knocked knocked those out, took the drop ceiling out, had to clean up a lot of mess up over the top of that. The building is probably 100 years old that we're in. And it's a mixed building with some of these retail spaces and apartments and and all that in this building. And then the storage garage, uh, the storage garage place is right behind it. So we actually lease 11 of the storage garages, as well as our space. We then have a second space that we leased right before COVID. And we had planned on turning that into a like the bicycle showroom area where people could actually come and shop for the bicycles. But COVID hit and it just didn't work quite right. So we still have the space, but it's more of a storage than anything else. And then our other business, Midway, occupies a third commercial space of the seven that are in that building. And it's at the opposite end of the building. Oh, wow. So you're all in in one area, which makes everything. Yes, it's consolidated. That definitely is a help. And Midway was something that we didn't really set out to do either. The way that ended up, we tried to... After we were established as a shop, we tried to get wholesale. And one of the major wholesalers has a six-page form in fine print that you had to fill out and sign your life away, basically say that you guaranteed your personal assets and and, and stuff like that. I thought, to buy some bike parts? Mm. You got to be kidding. And a couple of our local shops, or I was good friends with both of the owners, they've both since gotten out of the business. But both of them were married to attorneys and neither of their spouses would allow them to have an account at that company because that form was signed away a significant amount of their legal rights. And that wasn't really right. So they never would buy from that company. Then the other large wholesaler that we approached, the first excuse was you don't have a dedicated landline in your in your shop. And I'm like, this is like 2011 or something like that. You know, I, I, I've been, I've had a smartphone since 2009. I don't get this. So then the next excuse they came up with was, is we didn't spend enough money. Now we bear in mind, we had a bricks and mortar in a business with a business address, liability insurance, licensed as a business in our state. And not only that, we were in their local market area and, you know, lots and lots of their employees, including their president at the time knew me personally. Mm -hmm. And they wouldn't open an account. So I'm like, okay, 
So then uh, one of our friends was doing business with a very small distribution company that was also located about a mile and a half from where our shop was and hooked us up. So we started buying stuff there, but this person wasn't restocking the inventory. You know, it took six months to get anything and I need to, I, I need a box of cables now, not in six months, things like that. So I asked the guy, what's your secession plan? Because it was obvious that this person was health was failing and wouldn't be able to run this business. I said, well, I don't have one, but it's for sale if you want to buy it. And I said, I said, well, you should sell it to me. And he looked at me like I was crazy. And he says, well, call me in six months or so. So I figured that was never going to happen. Six months later, the guy calls me. It's three weeks before Interbike. He says, well, if you're going to buy this business, you need to go to Interbike. And I'm like, what? And I, I said, oh, okay. So I make a plane reservation real quick, call my friend with a bike shop so he can get me a credential so I can get in. And I go to Interbike and then I meet up with this guy and he hauls me around and, and I spend a whole day with this old man. And it's just, it was a very difficult day. I also saw the show on my own and, and actually looked around, but I'd never been there. I didn't know anything about any of this. So I'm like, okay. So then we went ahead and, and incorporated, set up, set up Midway. We, we then sent over our offer for buying the company and everything. And we, you know, we, we went and did an inventory of the place and we did a whole, we did our due diligence, made a very fair offer. The guy went ballistic. He was too emotionally attached. And to make a very long, sad story short, after about three months of us jumping through all kinds of burning hoops and trying to get this thing done, the day before the closing, the guy pulls out of the deal. Oh, no, Benita. So we'd already spent about roughly 12 grand of our own money to get this thing set up. And we're like, what do we do now? It's three days before Christmas. It's a good thing I'd outsourced Christmas that year to the kids. <laughs> but, you know, really it was. I outsourced the Christmas meal to the kids and they did a wonderful job. But Mike and I just looked at each other like, oh my God, now what? So we figured we'd take a few days to, to not to not deal with it. Let's, let's do Christmas. Let's get Christmas over with. And then we'll meet with a couple of our friends. So we met with a couple of people we knew and they said, you definitely should just move forward. And I said, okay. I started cold calling manufacturers to get them to sell me stuff. The guy who owned that other company, actually, I contacted a company in Taiwan. That guy actually called the, sent email to the Taiwan people telling them not to sell me anything. The guy thought we were trying to steal from him the guy was getting senile is what the problem was. And we just went ahead and moved forward. And I went through the phone book and looked up all the bike shops in the Twin Cities. And we started one by one visiting them. We started going on the road, visiting bike shops. We started sending out letters. We tried to figure out ways to reach bike shops. We literally started midway from nothing, from absolutely nothing. And we had the money in the bank that we were going to use to pay this guy for it. So that's what we used for buying the initial parts. We did end up buying parts from the connection that I, the Taiwan connection I'd made when I was at Interbike. And the first order of parts was roughly $60,000. And you have to pay them a third of it before they even consolidate the order. And you got to pay them the rest of it when it floats. And so they put it on the boat. Well, then they said, well, who's your freight forwarding company? And I thought, oh God, what's that? <laughs> so we had a quick 
crash course in freight forwarding. Fortunately, we found a really local place, a really great local place called Griffin Logistics. And the guy came out and met with us. He says, we love working with really small companies. Here's how the process works. It's this, this, this. He explained it all to us. We paid him the bond. We've been using them ever since. It's practically seamless with them. We've been very happy. So that got taken care of. So then the parts, when they finally got here, was like in the middle of the summer, we acquired warehouse racking from Mike's former employer. We set all this stuff up. You know, we stocked the shelves. You know, we unpacked the order. We got our grandkids over helping us to to count merch and stuff to put $60,000 worth of bike parts on the shelf, which in this general scheme of things, $60,000 is a drop in the bucket compared to big distribution companies. But to a little place like us, that's a ton of money and it's a ton of stuff. So slowly we started adding items to the inventory. We asked customers, is there something you're looking for? Is there something that you need? And the company literally, we've just we've grown it by just putting in lots and lots of our effort. The industry overall has not, in my opinion, been very encouraging to us. It's a very, very difficult thing to break into. There's, I mean, I had, I was cold calling manufacturers and many of them told me no. And I would tell them, I want to buy stuff from you to put on my shelves and I'll pay you cash up front for it. I'm not asking you to give me terms. I'm just asking to be able to buy some stuff. And a lot of them told me no. Why do you think that is, Benita? Is it the relationships with other distributors or, or what? Yes. I think that's the big driver. Like when one of the major tool manufacturing companies who, again, I know, I knew a lot of people that worked there and they knew me and they wouldn't sell to me because I think they believed that their relationship with the people who wouldn't sell to me because of my lack of a landline, and they believed that that relationship somehow would be jeopardized because they sold little bitty me some bike tools, or they were worried maybe that we were going to sell to hobbyists and stuff and that we weren't a real distribution company in that. And we, right from the get-go, we're very, very specific about the insurance, the you know the liability insurance thing, and being a business and having to give us that state tax ID number if they have one or some other form of incorporation. We just, and then of course we had to become experts in what forms of incorporation are accepted in different states, mm-hmm. because there's some states that have different rules, and then there are states that don't charge sales tax, so they don't have a sales tax ID number. So how do we verify that they're a business licensed in their state? So we had to do, and we do all that ourselves. There's just the two of us. There are, we have no employees at Midway. It's just Mike and I doing the whole thing. Over the years, we've signed up several hundred accounts, but I would say right now, actively, we probably have about 70 active accounts, people that buy from us regularly and they pay their bills. We've also had a couple people, a couple companies that filed bankruptcy and we didn't get paid by them. And that left us holding the bag. We got a couple people out there that haven't paid their bills for months and months and months, even after we've, and we have, we have some of that. Fortunately, it's very few. Panita, I love that you shared the story of how Midway got started, how the bicycle store got started. I mean, it's all, and I know this because I've had the pleasure to sit, sit around a, you know, a round table discussion, you know, after, after a show with you both and, and chat a little bit, but it's a really personable story. Um, it does come from your heart. 
I want to get into that a little bit, only because of you, because of our conversations, have I really been able to open my eyes to the diversity in retailers out there. We have recycling centers, we have volunteer run shops, we have boys and girls clubs with a small bicycle area inside it. We have different bicycle retailers. They come in all different shapes and sizes. So how, you know, as you're looking to bring in new accounts, as you are making sure that we've got liability insurance, you know, Talk to me about like the retailers that you're working with and that diversity and how you are doing the diligence to check to make sure you are working with true retailers. Well, in the case of some of the nonprofits, especially a really small nonprofit that's just getting started, often they're like a program with a larger umbrella nonprofit, in which case then the billing goes through the larger umbrella. And so they have the 501c3 status, that kind of stuff. We're able to verify from them they serve as a fiscal agent for this smaller group. And if they have those things in place, when we when we ask for the on the application form, there's a place for them to put their liability insurance information on there. When we do get a lot of times we'll get requests for accounts or we'll get a we'll get an application and for the insurance and for the state tax ID they put NANA and most of the time we just ignore them. Or if they call up and say, well, I filled out a form, we go back and we look and we say, well, I'm sorry, but your form is incomplete. You did not supply your state tax ID number or your liability insurance information. You need to supply that information. Now, nonprofits, the directors also in in nonprofits, directors have insurance. I've been on nonprofit boards, so I'm aware of this type of procedure. So the nonprofits usually are pretty well covered and, and, and are insured. The thing that we have to watch out for is what I think is one of the biggest threats to a lot of smaller, truly independent bike shops, and that is the flippers, the Mm -hmm. Craigslist flippers. I think they're more of a threat to a shop than any nonprofit setting up in in, in a community is because these flippers, they, you know, when people buy bikes from them, a lot of times they're, they're, they go to the person's house and they're buying it out of this person's garage this person a lot of times isn't even reporting this money as income. They're just, they're basically selling a bike out of their garage and it's, it's an under the table thing. We do not want to in any way support any kind of flipper and because we don't consider them a real business because they're not, they, they don't have insurance. They aren't registered with the state and they're probably not paying sales taxes or all the other things, the other obligations that come with being a business. The mobile people actually are really good about supplying their insurance information. And mobile, because their vehicle is essentially their storefront. So, you know, people look at it, well, lack of a bricks and mortar. But those, the, a lot of the mobile people, the vehicle that they've invested in is actually pretty expensive. And the commercial insurance on those is also pretty expensive. So it isn't that the mobile people have no skin in the game whatsoever. Quite honestly, they do. And they're very good about having insurance and that type of thing. And we haven't had any issues. I mean, I don't think that mobile are really threatening to the individual shops. I mean, unless the mobile is pulling up their van and taking customers directly from the front of somebody's shop, most of the mobile operators go to the person's home. They're doing service by appointment at people's houses. And if that is that big of competition to another shop, then maybe they should look at purchasing a commercial vehicle and going and doing at least a pickup and delivery service on the bikes to the customers. I mean, that's 
In fact, I've even looked at would there be potentially a business model for someone to get a to get a commercial vehicle and serve, you know, do do appointment pickup and deliveries of repairs for like, you know, anywhere from six to 10 bike shops in a metropolitan area, for example. That looked to me like it, it, there's a potential there for for some business. I don't know, but we do vet the customers. We also, whenever we're traveling, we stop and see any customers that we have when we're on the road. Now, COVID really slowed that down. But when we are passing through an area, we do stop and we see the customer. If we know the customer is going to be there, we call them ahead of time, set up appointments, that type of thing. And so we have managed to visit quite a few of our shops. We've even visited a couple of the Amish shops that we have. We have a couple of Amish shops that are analog only type of places. We have other ones that are that are reasonably technically savvy or they use technology in business, but not at their house type of thing. We also have a customer in Arkansas who has a, he's like a hardware store and he does a bike repair out of this hardware store in this tiny town. He is completely analog. He calls us on the phone. He doesn't, he's not online. He's got a fax machine. That's it. He's not, he's not online. And so, but we can serve, we're small enough to be able to serve a customer like that. We've got another auto, we got an auto parts store that's a customer and they are in a small town. There's a bike trail though, that runs through that town that connects several different cities. They're out in central Minnesota. And this particular guy had called one of the major distribution companies at saying, you know, I got customers, I got people coming in looking for some bike parts and stuff. I'm an auto parts store. I don't have access to any of that through my normal distribution channels. What should I have for sale in my shop? Well, we don't tell you any of that. We don't help you prepare a list. And so the guy found us online, called us. We said, sure, we'll do that. So we sat down and came up with a list and sent it to him. And he chose items off that list to sell and we shipped the stuff up to him and he had it. And we even stopped in there to see him and uh, saw the stuff out on the floor. And it was really cool. So if a customer we're willing to sell to a non-traditional customer who has a legitimate need for bike parts. Another one, we've got a guy out in Montana who builds hunting carts. So he needs specific sizes of wheels, tires, tubes, rim strips, and some items of that nature, some bearings, that kind of stuff, in order to build these carts. That's a legitimate need for bike parts. And so that's, and he's a business. So we sell to him. You know, we're willing to look at someone who has, who is a business, who has a legitimate need for bike parts, or even a limited number of bike parts, because they're building a product that relies on some bicycle components, whatever. So we don't limit it to just strictly bike shops. But we are very particular about making sure that who we are selling to are legitimate businesses that have a need for bike parts. Nobody knows your bike shop better than you, but the people who might come the closest are other bike shop owners who are facing the same day-to-day -day and long-term challenges that you are. Joining a P2 group is one of the most affordable ways to take a deep dive into your business alongside other bike shop owners who are experts in what you do. Reach out today so we can tell you more about how a P2 group can make a difference in your business.
I enjoy watching the conversations that you and Michael have with retailers at the Cabbage Shows because you can tell that you've actually formed a relationship, like a friendship and a business relationship, and you're looking out for their business and really in this together, which is, you know, that's unique in the industry. So I love to see that. Yeah. And, and Mike mentioned, yeah, when we give them a hundred grand too. That's our, our little, our little shtick there is the, yep. the, the wheel of winning. And so when you come, you spin the wheel and uh, you can either win a hundred grand or you can spin again and then you can win a hundred grand. So it's kind of a joke, but we, we, and with our Amish customers, we tell them we don't believe in games of chance. So, you know, so you're going to win. So, 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 Hey, go ahead. Because they have some, uh, there's some religious uh, objections there to gambling, but see, we, we set it up on purpose so that it's really not gambling because we want our customers to know that they are all winners. But the thing is, if those customers don't succeed, we don't succeed because if the customer doesn't succeed, they don't have any money to buy stuff from us. And if nobody's buying anything from us, then we can't pay our bills and we're out of business. So it's, it's really pretty simple, but we, we do business really the old fashioned way. We try to do it based on relationships. We, ba- we, we believe that people, we take people at their word. We've had a couple of interesting ones. There was a bike shop I, we called on once and the guy, oh, he wanted to sign up for an account. He was just eager to sign up for an account. And I said, okay. And he says, cause I'm buying from this company over here and they're just a bunch of rich people who haven't done anything for anybody anyway. That's what he said. Only he made more disparaging remarks than that, but I don't want to repeat those here. And he said, I, I'll buy as much of my stuff from you as I possibly can. So I'm like, okay. So he signed up for the account. That person has yet to spend so much as one dime. It has been years. So there's people who have literally lied to us about things, but we take people at their word. But then when they don't live up to their word, you have to give us a reason to not trust you. We initially base our relationship on trust. So when you call up and when you call up Midway, you're going to get one of us. You're usually going to get Mike. Mike is normally who answers the phone because almost all of the questions that people have are technical questions about the parts and stuff. And because Mike is a mechanic and has wrenched for over five decades, Mike has the knowledge necessary to answer the question that they have. But if we are, we have an express policy against using any kind of devices while driving. So if Mike is on his way to drop off today's FedEx order and it rings, he will not answer it until he's at such a time that he can pull into a parking lot, shut the motor off, and then he can look at the phone. If we are driving together, like when we're on the road to Cabda or some other place, then he has the phone sitting on the console. So when it rings, I answer it and then I can put it on speaker and he can talk to them. But I have the phone in my hand and I'm doing the touching so that his because his eyes have to stay on the road. We're very diligent in that area because it drives us nuts to see people using phones while they're driving. It's just plain wrong. So, in fact, it's against the law here in our state. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's so many things wrong with that. We've touched on a lot, but I want to, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, you know, the last two years, inventory, supply levels. How has it been working with your suppliers, getting inventory? And you have to take these risks with, with taking on inventory. And how's that been? Well, the stuff that we ordered in, let's see, it was April of 2021 came in like early June of 2022, 75% 75% of it. We're still waiting on the other 25% of that stuff. A lot of this stuff is on back order. 
if we can get it at all. We have some customers that have been waiting months and months for specific sizes of tires because we can't get them. It's been a real struggle for us. And then like when, when people, when the pandemic first hit, we were, we used to sell, you know, 10 tubes or something like that to a customer. And all of a sudden customers bumped up and they started ordering 50 tubes at a time and stuff and basically cleaned us out. Our relationship with the folks at Kenda, we have a really good relationship there. They really helped us out a lot in finding closeouts and things like that, that were in small quantities that other, other companies wouldn't necessarily want, or if they would, it'd be a big pain to them. So they helped us to stock our shelves during some of the worst of it all. And we really appreciate Kenda. They've been a very good company to us. Their sister company, the Chemlight Trading Company in Taiwan is who we get most of our other stuff from. So those folks have just been fabulous to us, have really been great partners for us. Another company I want to give a shout out to is Bowshield. When we went to Interbike and after we formed the company, a year later, Mike and I went to Interbike because we were looking mainly to find vendors to sell us stuff that we could sell then to our customers. And we approached a couple of uh, lube places and they said, well, we'll get back to you. Well, they haven't yet. It's been several years now. The guy at Bowshield, he sat there, listened to what we had to say. And he said, you know what? You're doing something really important. There is no minimum order quantity for you. Here's the price list. You order just as much as you need when you need it, and we'll take care of you. And I just went, really? He said, really. Held out his hand and shook on it. We ordered the next week. They believed in us. They took a chance on us when we were small. You never forget those people who gave you that first break. And we've got shops that we have several shops that are incredibly loyal to us because we took a chance on them when no one else would. And yeah, they can get stuff from other distribution companies and they do buy some of their stuff there, but they buy from us first because they know they're supporting something bigger than just, just somebody who sells them bike parts. The charity thing, a lot of people don't really understand, but both of our businesses, of all the revenue that comes in, we take 10% right off the top and give it away. With the bike shop, we have involved our volunteers, our regular volunteers in helping us with charity selection. Those charities are very hyper local. You know, they're sort of like there's a one of them is a elders group that helps people to stay in their own homes that's right in our area. There's an indigenous food thing that's here in the in the Twin Cities, a bunch of things like that. But for Midway, we involved our customers. And we had cut, we gave, we opened it up to our customers to say, hey, do you know of any charities that you think that we should be looking at to donate to? And so afterward, we looked over the recommendations that came in and we chose three and we have three charity partners. And anybody who does business with Midway can either say, we'll just split it equally among because they're all good causes. Or if there's one of them that really appeals to them, they can say anything I spend give 10% of what give give the 10% to this specific charity. So I have we have a few that have directed their donations to a specific one. But the three charities are the Anne Bancroft Foundation that gives micro grants to girls to achieve their dreams, Project Lemonade which is out in Portland, Oregon and they operate a store for kids in the foster care system to be able to come and shop. They don't have to spend any money. 
but they can come in and have a shopping experience to choose their own clothing for school and that. They also now have some internship programs for foster youth and that type of thing. They're just a really excellent organization. And then Habitat for Humanity Minnesota, they they were doing an annual bike ride every year where they try to raise enough money at the ride to build one Habitat home, and it's called the Bike Home. And then they will equip the family that lives in the home with bicycles. And oftentimes the bicycles came from Mr. Michael. So it's given us a chance to be able to do a lot of cool things for people. The most joyful part of Midway is when I get to write those checks and mail those checks to those charities. That's a huge thing you've done. Well, I was doing a little research for our podcast. You've got, you've given away like something like 8,000 bikes bicycles in, in your timeline or actually we're getting up to we're, we're approaching 9,000 we're real close to, we're real close in fact we're real close to 9,000 I think we'll hit 10 grand by next year a lot of people's lives that you've impacted that's a that's a tremendous number but we started in 1998 keep in mind that we've been doing this now for 24 years and we've had our shop for 14 years so it's it's one of those kinds of things so I want to just stay on Midway Bike for us for a moment here because the website listeners, midwaybike.com, I see, Benita, it's really easy. Your dealer application is right on the homepage. You've got your categories, your product categories, a little bit of about us. There's a newsletter sign up. Seems like it's really easy for an account to get going with you. What, so you'll get an application and then you call them, Benita, or how does that work? Well, when we get the application, typically Mike will uh, Mike takes it and he goes and he inputs the information into our system. And then an email goes back to the person who sent that application in saying, this is your application and this is it. And you can you can sign up and place your orders or, and it also gives them the opportunity then to change their password. So as soon as we see that password change, we know they're looking and we know that they probably want to buy something. And then when the order comes in, most of the time, if an order comes in by noon that day, it is shipped the same day. I'd say like 95% of the time. Occasionally there's a day or two delay. Like when we travel, because once in a while we have to take some time for ourselves. And so when we travel, if we don't have anybody to pull, pack, and ship orders, then we'll tell people, okay, Midway's going to be closed for a few days. If you order during this time, it will ship on, and we state the date that it's going to ship so that people know up front. If for some reason we run into some kind of a strange delay for shipping because of a snowstorm or some other thing, we'll call the person on the phone and say, hey, it might take us a day to get your order out because of this is what's going on. And as long as we communicate, it hasn't been a major issue. But we try to provide as fast a service as possible for customers. You know, we don't like people have we don't want people having to wait weeks and weeks for their shipments. Yeah. What a cool position. You guys get to curate your inventory for retailers too. And it adds a kind of evolved based on retailer requests and, and items that you might find that you think are unique and, and interesting. Well, some of them, yes. The other a couple of things that have happened. First of all, five years after we started Midway, we got a phone call from a guy who was getting ready to buy the building that the distribution company that pulled out of our deal this guy was going to buy his building, but as a condition, he had to buy the, the bike parts business. This guy had no, absolutely no desire to buy the bike parts business. So he found Mr. Michael. He was thinking that he was going to donate all these parts to some nonprofit and then get some kind of a tax write-off on that to help swing his deal. 
So I sat down with the guy and I said, well, how much is that actually going to be worth to you to do that? And he gave, he named the number and I says, why don't we make this real simple? Why don't I write you a check for this? My, my distribute, because we explained to him, we have a distribution company. We're already in that business. And we are the only player in town that has the resources necessary to be able to absorb and, and, and manage that. So we went and we, it took us several weeks to move all of it and stuff. It filled an entire 40 foot container cubed to the top. Plus all we brought back to our warehouse as much as we could. And it took us quite a long time to get it all moved. And, and, and we still have a few odd boxes here and there of stuff that we haven't found yet. But it gave us a bunch of really cool new old stock stuff that we put up in, our, in the specialty areas. And we have a number of people who have been buying that stuff up and, and so on. So we wrote this guy a check and we bought all the stuff. So we, we ended up with buying the same stuff from the guy who had rejected us several years before for pennies on the dollar. You know, sometimes karma works. <laughs> That's all I could say. But the other thing we did was we had people who were looking for a specific product. And that was in our in, in northern tier states, especially in a market like ours, where a lot of people are hardcore riders all year, they want studded tires. Well, they couldn't find tires to fit 27-inch road bike wheels, the old ones. So we couldn't find him either. Well, it ended up that a guy who had his own bike company hooked up with us and we explained what we wanted to do. And he helped us through the process and connected us with a manufacturer. We actually had the tires manufactured. And so we have a proprietary tire that you can only buy from Midway. It is a 27 by one and three eighths inch studded tire to put on. You can put it on old road bikes. So now what you can do is you can you can get it you can get an old beater bike like like a like a Schwinn Continental or Varsity or something like that and you can slap a set of those on there and you can have a winter beater bike oh, no. that'll take you through the snow the ice everything else we have them in stock and it, like I said it's an exclusive product it sells at comparable price points to other studded tires we have them available and we're going into that winter season so any anybody who's thinking gee I'd love to be able to get studded tires for these old bikes. Well, guess what? We have them and we are the only place in the world. In fact, a guy found us who is north of the Arctic Circle and he bought two of them because you can't, if you have a motor vehicle up there in the wintertime, you'd have to leave it running 24 seven. Otherwise it won't start because it's that cold. So a lot of people in these, in this little bitty town up there where it's dark, all my all you know it's dark 24 7 for several weeks they just ride a, this guy just rides a bike and he had wanted to find these tires and so it cost more to ship the tires than it would for to ship the two tires than it would to buy just one of those tires so he paid he gladly paid the shipping and he has these two tires up there north of the arctic oh, circle he bought them we sold them through the bike shop though sometimes we get a retail customer wanting to buy some specific thing when that happens if they don't have, if we don't have a customer in their area to send them to, because we will, if, if there's a customer or if there's a bike shop in the area where they're at, we will send them to one of our customers to go buy that item so that that bike shop gets the business. But if there's someplace like North of the Arctic Circle, for example, then we sell it through Mr. Michael Recycles Bicycles at retail prices. We do not undercut our wholesale prices. We don't do that to retailers. We just don't. And in fact, Mr. Michael, our, you know, being in our market that we can that we sell our stuff at the bike shop, we don't undercut the other bike shops in town either. And we're likely if the person lives closer to them, we try to send customers to 
other bike shops that have Midway accounts to buy stuff. Right. I mean, there's no reason not to, right? Well, we believe in cooperative economics. Mm-hmm. And to me, cooperative economics means that we help our customers to succeed. And so it makes it makes sense for us to do things like that. I love that your shipping and delivery information is really clear on your website too. You know, listing out for retailers, really fair shipping rates. 70 retailers working with you on a consistent basis right now. I want to make that more like 700 or more. So if we had that many, quite honestly, if we had that many people buying from us all the time, we'd actually be able to hire help and create jobs. That would be, we would dearly love that. I mean, that's where we would go. We would definitely create a job and we would pay a decent wage. We, I don't want to create a job for someone and then have to turn around and lay them off. I don't want to create a job that doesn't pay a reasonable wage in our market. If we create a job, we want that job to pay a fair price. We want to treat that employee fairly because that hiring that first employee is a really huge marginal cost. And so in order to do that, we need to be at a lot higher sales level than what we are right now. And the other thing too is, is that down the road several years, we would be want we want to be able to retire from all of this too and spend time doing other stuff and so we're hoping that down the road someone is going to come along who will want to buy Midway Bicycle Supply and continue to grow the company but the company needs to grow to a certain point in order to make that attractive to someone who has the drive and energy to be able to move it to another level yeah well i'm all for supporting the people that support us so i challenge our listeners Midwaybike.com. There's the, the catalogs and super intensive. Take a look. And I urge you to reach out to Benita and Michael. And I'm telling you, just the conversations you'll have with them are worth it. <laughs> you know, you guys are amazing. You've been in the industry for so long, changed so many lives. Thinking about Cabda, so excited to see January, February, March on the calendar. Do you intend to be at the shows again this year? We're going to be at Chicago because of just like a lot of other places businesses slowed way, way down at Midway. And it slowed down to the point where we can't justify the money necessary to travel to the far shows. But Chicago is a little different in that we can drive there. We pack the booth in the back of our truck and we were able to, we bring, we can bring a cooler with most of our food so we can keep our expenses down to a, a bare minimum and be able to still put on a quality experience for people at the show. So Chicago is a go. We've already uh, sent in our money or you know res- made our reservation with Jim. So Chicago's a go. We had wanted to alternate between the two coasts and it would have been West Coast here this year, but we just can't justify it. So West Coast is probably going to have to wait until 2024. I totally East Coast last year. It'll be great to see you at the Midwest show. That's such a fun show. And hopefully we'll do our dinner event the night before. Benita, is there anything else that you wanted to make sure we covered? It's already been, I, it always amazes me how quickly the time goes once we start chatting. Yeah, well, there's there's two quick things. One of them, we're concerned about the ability to continue getting legacy parts. And by that, I mean things like 27-inch tires, five-speed freewheels, friction shifters, all those kinds of things, those basics. But yet those are things that sell like crazy. That's the stuff we're selling. We're concerned that the source of those things will dry up. And I would challenge the industry 
The greenest bike is the one that's already been built. We need to be using up the stuff we have instead of building massive numbers of new bikes. We need to use the ones we have and to make them more repairable and to keep them on the road. So that's really important. The other thing that people would probably enjoy is this. We advertise on a local radio station for our, our bike shop, and we have a commercial that we wrote and perform on the air, and we're going to give you the live version of it before we sign off. So here you go. He's almost famous. He's Mr. Michael. He fixes bicycles, both big and small. 520 Prior is where you find him in the Midway area of St. Paul. So buy some bike parts or get your bike fixed at the most fun bike shop in this town. So check our website for our hours at mmrbstore.com. And I'm Mr. Michael, and I approve of this message. Oh my God. I love, I love you too. I'm so thankful to have you on the podcast. It's great to see you. It's great to share the story with our listeners. Benita, your voice is beautiful. That was wonderful. Michael, nice to see you again. Thank you for coming on Bicycle Retail Radio. For our listeners, my challenge today, head over to midwaybike.com. Go ahead, check it out. Fill out the dealer application. Reach out to Benita and Michael. I'm telling you, you will not be disappointed. Thank you for listening to this episode of Bicycle Retail. If it's your first episode, take a look back through our previous episodes. Such great things happening in our industry. Share your favorite episode with friends, leave a review, and we appreciate your support. Thank you for listening, and with this we go. This has been Bicycle Retail Radio by the National Bicycle Dealers Association. For more information on membership and member benefits, join us at nbda.com.